Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters To Go. We are the Satellite Sisters. I am Liz Dolan here in Santa Monica, California, and Here's the beautiful thing about Satellite Sisters lately. You kind of never know which sisters are going to be on the line. People are having all kinds of adventures, coming in to report when they can. Today on the line we have Julie Dolan in Dallas, Texas, but fresh back from the country that shall not be named. But we can call it, now that you're home, we can say North Korea. Fresh back from North Korea, Liz. And I have a full report. I can't wait to tell you and Leon about what about my trip. All right, Leon, you are also on the line, Pasadena, California. What's going on out there in your world? Well, Liz, I had a root canal, as you know, this week. And, <laughs> and Julie, we had quite a lively debate on the blog and Twitter as to what was worse, a week in North Korea or a root canal. So <laughs> I'm going to listen to your stories, but then I feel like I'm going to need to make a judgment. Who had a worse time? <laughs> <laughs> All right. And that's a good reminder that if you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, the handle is at Sat Sisters, at Sat Sisters. So, all right, first, Leanne, we have this J. Jill contest going on at SatelliteSisters.com and ChaosChronicles.com. Next week, October, we start announcing some of the winners, but people can keep entering throughout the whole month of October, right? Yes. We are asking you to answer the question, what works for me? Okay. We want to hear what are your professional goals this fall and how are you going to achieve them? And uh, in 250 words or less. So really don't get hung up. People have entered haikus, which is clever. I I can appreciate the (laughs) clarity of language in the haiku. Um, But yes, you can still enter all the details at SatelliteSisters.com. We'll be picking two winners next week for the $50 J. Jill gift cards. But every week after that, we are still accepting uh, new entries, and everyone who enters will be thrown into a hat. Literally, your name will be thrown into a hat, and one of you will win a signed copy of my book, Helen of Pasadena. So even if you don't win the J. Jill gift card, you could still be a winner, Liz. That's what I'm trying to say. That's a high-value item, signed copy of Helen of Pasadena. There, it is. There aren't any it's... in circulation in the world yet, but no, soon it's... the world will be flooded with them, but not many of them signed. Right, and not many of them shipped from my own post office, which, Liz, I shipped you something from that post office today. It's the best post office in America, is it not? Okay, can I just say, Leon always says, doesn't she, Julie, that she is the best post office in America? She, she claims that, yes. Well, here's the thing. I'm having a couple of friends over this weekend. I want They're helping promote the book. So yeah. I wanted two copies of Helen of Pasadena to give them. And Leon said to me, when was that? Thursday, Thursday on the phone. Thursday on the phone. Okay, I will put two copies in the mail to you. And, and I was, I think I'll just drive out to Pasadena and pick them up. There's no way they're going to get here in the mail. No, 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 no. Leon said, no, I trust my post office. We have the best post office in America. And sure enough, if those books didn't arrive Friday, 24 hours from Leon's front door to my front door, the U.S. mail just amazes me sometimes yeah, that it works it's, it's at all. It's a miracle, Liz. It, it's a miracle. It is a, It is a, every day when you get those pieces of paper, letters, yeah. magazines, books in the mail, it's all a miracle to me. I agree. Liz, I mailed those at 4 o'clock Thursday afternoon. <gasps> 
It's so magnificent. Yeah, it is magnificent. Camp. Yes. Goes through camp. Through rain, through sleet, through snow. Oh, we don't have any of those in Southern California. <laughs> anyway, they got here less than 24 hours. So you're right. So far, the Pasadena Post Office is winning our other little informal contest. Who's got the best post office in America? <laughs> so, okay, things here in America working pretty well, I'm guessing, compared to North Korea, where you spent the week, Julie. Now, I, I can you just remind us? why you were in North Korea. Right. Let's start at the beginning here. Okay. um, I went with my girlfriend, Susie. She Uh and I like to take unusual trips every couple of years. We've been to Uzbekistan together. Uh, We went to uh, Iraq together on a girlfriend trip a couple of years ago. And we were looking for a new location for this year. We heard about that, that you could go as Americans, that you can go to North Korea. And we just thought, this is a really interesting place in the world. This is something totally unique, something different. And it was either this or go see the gorillas in the wild in Uganda. And quite frankly, I was afraid of the gorillas. So that's (laughs) why... That's honestly, that's the truth. So, so, so we have been planning to go to North Korea for about a year. We signed up with the tour group. This is um, a British company located in Beijing, and they have specialized in uh, in tours of North Korea for 19 years. They've been going in and out of North Korea on these tours for 19 years. I don't think Americans could always go. I think it's only been as far as as far as I understand since 19, uh, since 2004 Americans were allowed to go on these tours. Uh, uh. But we signed up. So Susie and I packed up. Uh, we went to Beijing. We met up with our tour group there. Um, there were 52 people in our group going into and out of curiosity, who else in their right mind wants to go to North Korea? Okay, like, who so, are those 52 people? No, it was, okay, uh, 46 men and six women. They were Americans, Canadians, Brits, Australians, and Europeans. Mm-hmm. And the men fell into, like, three groups. There was probably a third of the men of the guys could be my sons. They were young, young guys in their 20s, all had, like, lived or worked in Asia, they were interested in the adventure of going to North Korea. I mean, yeah, the, I this is, that. and you know, many of many of that group spoke Korean, spoke Japanese, were really world travelers. Second group, middle chunk, um, I would say these would be, there were a lot of men going through some kind of, middle-aged men going through some kind of midlife crisis. <laughs> um, uh, I mean, Still a strange choice of how yeah. to like act well, out, but okay. I, I don't know. They had, you know, they had lost their job, taken time off from their job, uh, you know, uh, for a lot of reasons, didn't, you know, wouldn't really tell me if they had a job, you know, just sort of unusual, you know, broken up with their girlfriends, recently divorced, but they were in for the adventure of that. But our group ranged in age. Our The oldest member of our group was 82 years old. He was Australian. He had fought in the Korean War. And so he was interested in going back and seeing oh North goodness. Korea. That's we had, we had a Cambridge University professor who specializes in China. We had a welder from Canada who works oil fields all over the world. And when he's not working, goes on great adventures. Uh, you know, we, there were four other women on the trip. That, that, those, that was the honeymoon couples. That's what I call them. They were like young, 
young couples that were traveling together. Um, it wasn't it wasn't really their honeymoon, but this was like their romantic vacation to North Korea. Wow. Okay. So it was, but all of the people in the group were, you know, were world travelers with a lot of experience. I think some of our tour group, when they first saw, you know, the two ladies from Texas, they thought maybe we got on the wrong bus. <laughs> we were going on the bus for the spa vacation. But, but really, once they talked to me and once they talked to my friend Susie, they realized that our credentials were excellent for North Korea. Yes, I, mean, I, I, I hope you flashed your passport at them, which I, by I now has I the think, extension I, pages in You it. know, when I could say, yes, you know, I lived in Russia for a number of years and I've lived in Thailand. And, oh, yes, on our last vacation, we went to Kurdistan together. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, we really impressed a lot of those young guys with that. I mean, and, and Susie was in the travel business, and so she's been to like 150 countries so there was really no one that could top us and so but it was a a a big group and but everybody was you know really well read well traveled and it made it made for very very interesting travel companions okay so that's good so when you get there what does it actually so now you're landing where in pyongyang in the capital you, of north korea you yes went you land there. okay first of all you get on a plane liz you know you're at this you know that beautiful beijing airport and you look up on the board and it says paris london pyongyang and that at that moment i was like oh am i going <laughs> i i could be in paris right now i could just stay in beijing and then you get on a plane it's a very again i wasn't you know some of the some of the tour group got they got a little worried it was a Russian plane, a very old Tupelo 154. Oh, we've been on those. You've been on that, Liz. You know this plane. Yes. Okay. So it was the plane. Is, it, is that the one like with the wooden yes. uh, fold-down trays? Wood, which wooden, wooden, made out of wood in wood. the Tupelo. <laughs> the, the emergency equipment is a rope inside the cabin. Yeah, these are old planes. Okay. Services North Korean Airlines. Corio Air, and the in-flight entertainment, it's just excellent. It's all about the horrors of the Korean War. That's oh, what they wow. show you, in-flight in- in- entertainment yeah, yeah. going into... Um, really? Yes. I mean, Leon, I'll get to that, but they, that is the big thing. They are still fighting the Korean War, and they're, and they're really mad about it. So you arrive in, you arrive in Pyongyang. It is, um, to me, it looked very familiar because it's this rundown old... Uh, Soviet-style um, airport. Like, Leon, you've been to the one in Russia. So it's like that, only beat up. And here's the thing, and here's the thing about North Korea. The entire place is lit by a 40-watt bulb. I mean, there oh, is really? very, there's very little, no, I mean, seriously, everything is dark over there. The Inside the um, airport terminal is dark. And, you know, there's, you, you have a lot of concern because there are, you know, there's soldiers right there and there's a lot of people when you go into customs and immigration and there's, and there are a lot of people yelling and telling you to line up in lines. And so you're doing all of that. But even though there's all this order, there is then complete chaos because there is no system for processing passports or processing visas. So then there's just customs officers running around with this giant sheet that has our passport photos of the 52 people in our group. And he's yelling, find your face, find your face, find your face. <laughs> and, you know, and you're like, oh. So um, the big thing coming into North Korea, no cell phones. So they collect all your cell phones and you have to physically show, you, show all the recording um, devices that you have. So your cameras, video cameras, any kind of anything like that 
that's what they're interested in. So when they take your cell phones, are you going to get those back or that's it? Goodbye cell phone. No, well, um, the tour company from Beijing was actually hold it. They hold your cell phones and your passports. Okay. So not a good feeling, but that's, they, they say, oh, we are just going to hold your passports for safekeeping. So you don't lose it. I hate that feeling. I hate that feeling. Even in a hotel, like sometimes where the front desk wants to take your passport and do something to it, just letting go of your passport, that's a very vulnerable feeling. Yeah, yeah. So we arrive, we get our bags, and then there are three buses. And for each of the three buses, there are two guides and a minder. Um, Those are, they're, they're, these are young North Koreans. They all, they speak perfect English. And their job on the bus is to make sure you do not take a picture of anything you're not supposed to do or you don't in any way stray from the plan. In addition to the three official people on the bus, there's also another guy, North Korean, with a video camera that's making a videotape of your trip to North Korea. But they're filming, really? they're filming you the whole time. Now he oh, pretends- That is creepy. Yes, wow. it is creepy. That, that, you know, they said, oh, well, at the end of the week, you can buy this video tape. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that sounds fun. <laughs> that sounds fun. And Leanne, he pretended not to speak English, but I, I really believe that he probably could speak perfect English. Yeah. And then you had the bus drivers. So that meant there were five North Koreans, 15 foreigners. And that was the ratio on all of the buses. And these minders, ours was a nice guy. He Joe, he was pretty pretty laid back about it but he was like constantly poking you like no you can't take this picture out the window of the bus no you can't do this and here's the other thing that you realize once you're there is it's not like any other tour you might have gone on where you have a bus trip they drop you off at the hotel you have free time you know you see some sights Uh uh-uh we got on that bus and I'm telling you, they did not want to let us off the bus. They just kept driving us around to look at these sites of, you know, of Kim Jong-il and his father, Kim Il-sun, and, you know, the various. And they're all very, to me, very familiar because they're big Soviet-style buildings, giant, you know, uh, you know, they have like an Arc de Triomphe in Pyongyang. And the big thing, we stopped to look at it. And the big thing is it's 10 meters higher than the one in Paris. And they just go out of their way to tell you about this. So it's all very militaristic there. All of their monuments are to commemorate battles won or their victory over the Japanese or their victory over now get this phrase correctly because this is this is the American imperialist aggressors. That's how they refer to America at all times. Oh really? Um, it always has those modifiers. The American imperial imperialist of aggressors. Can oh. you say that together? Because that's how they always referred to the United States as the American imperialist aggressors. Well, no, that's not very hospitable. Yeah. yeah. That would make you feel bad. So, now, so again, I just ask, as you're driving around, are you seeing actual people in the streets? Like, what does your average North Korean, how do they move around? What do they look like? Is the city kind of empty or teeming the city, with people? What's the, city, the energy like? There, is, there, are, there are very few cars. And the cars that are there are all like Mercedes-Benz, Land Rovers, driving at high speeds, horns blow, blowing. But most people, there are no bicycles in Pyongyang because ah. Kim Il-jung thinks it's too dangerous for people in Pyongyang to be on bicycles. So there are no bicycles, there are no mopeds, there are no tuk-tuks, there are no 
everyone in the city is walking. You have it's a really? city, it's a city of three million, three to five million people. You, so that's all you see out the window are just thousands of people walking around. It's a very odd, weird place that way because. I mean, well, you know, you and you can understand why they do it, because that's how you can control the population mm-hmm. that you can't, you know, you can't really go too far if you if you have to walk everywhere. I mean, they Good have point. we saw a couple of old buses like uh, like nine, like 1950 Hungarian buses taking people around. And there's some small again, like 1950 uh, era uh, streetcar. But predominantly, you just see people large numbers of people walking around in the, in the semi-darkness because there are no light bulbs there are no lights mo- they're mo- yeah. mostly not street lights around so we you know we drove so they picked us up from the airport late in the afternoon you think it would be a great time to go to the hotel no 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 we had to see several sites before we ended up at our hotel so we we pulled into our hotel i think it was like eight thirty or nine o'clock at night total darkness now this hotel is where they put this is one of the two deluxe hotels, that's what they call it, in Pyongyang. This is where they put all foreigners. It is a 44-story building with a revolving restaurant on top land. Oh, my God. Oh, wow. That sounds dangerous, actually. It, 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 very dangerous. And yeah. here's, the, here's the other. And so you walk in, again, got those 40-watt bulbs um, blowing, going. So it's very dim and dark inside the hotel lobby. And then they, they put all of the guests on the 32nd and the 34th and 35th floor. So there's no one on floors, you know, a two through 20, you know, through 32, I mean, or 31. There's nothing there. Like the elevator might open, but it's total darkness. So a big, dark hotel, except for they've got the foreigners can I say trapped up on this on these top floors? This wow. really sad. This it sounds like a Stephen King novel or something. I mean, that that first night I was actually scared. We you know we slept with our flashlights, our shoes, and our and our pocketbooks right by our beds, but just because we were worried about a fire. Because if there a fire, you know, if there there's no fire department in Pyongyang, and I don't think we would have made it out of the um, hotel. I mean, we tried. We were uh, we tried to go down the hall to find the fire exit, the stairs, but again, totally dark stairs, you know, uh, so it would have been a long way down. But here's the good news about um, the, the the first hotel, the Yang Gato Hotel where we stayed, yeah. that they kicked us out of the hotel because they're about to have a big party congress in North Korea. Maybe you've heard about it. In yes, new- that's been all over the papers. It starts this week, right? Everyone's coming in from all over the country. That's that's uh, that's again that's the rumor that we hear that that's that it's going to happen. So they were anticipating they were going to kick our tour group out because they're going to put all the delegates in this deluxe hotel. I hope they bring their flashlights. That's all I can say. Uh, <laughs> so they the next the next day again this total scramble. Um, they moved us to, over to the other deluxe hotel, the Koryo Hotel, which is in downtown um, Pyongyang. Two towers two revolving restaurants on top. <laughs> now, here's the thing about the revolving restaurant. I went up Yeah, what's the thing? Because it's hard to no imagine there, there are a lot time. of North Koreans in the revolving restaurant. No, there are no North Koreans in the restaurant. And it's also, you know, one of the things about a revolving restaurant is to see the sights or the lights of a city. 
but there are no lights on. So it's it's in oh, the dark. That is so weird. I know. That's it's, so again, weird. it's part of like just this off-putting, overwhelming weirdness about about the place. Um, and but in the basement of both of these hotels, they have what they call the Korean side and the Chinese side. On the Korean side, they have some pool tables down there and um, some video games, uh, you know, that you can play with. On the Chinese side, they have a casino and they have, as they describe, an alternative massage place for men only. So they have a, they have a brothel downstairs in the hotel for the Chinese guests, because apparently this is a cheap vacation. I don't know what it would be comparable, like maybe going to Atlantic City. If you live in China, you go to Pyongyang for the cheap beer, the ew, casino, ew. And, and, and I don't even know what's in the alternative massage place. I did not want to find out. So. That's good. Yeah, stay away from that. Okay, so now, like, you're moved into the new hotel. I'm sure it's much better than the first one. And th- so then what happens in each day? Like, are you seeing, the, do they tell you at the beginning of the day, here's what we're going to go see, and then you're just wandering all over? And is it fascinating, well, or is it just there's, weird? There's, it was absolutely fascinating. I learned a great deal about North Korea. Um, here's the most important thing that I learned, is that it's all about the dead father, Kimmel's son, okay? He was the ruler, you know, he was the, the leader during, right after the uh, World War II and through the Korean War. All of the worship, all of the adoration, everyone in the entire city of Pyongyang wears a pin of Kim Il-sun. Really? Everyone we saw had a pin on. Every, and, and we asked the guides, they said, yes, everyone wears a pin. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? No. It's like country. us wearing pins of Eisenhower still. Right, yeah, right. I, I, it's, you right. just can't yeah, even. Truman, so, yeah. So Kim Jong-il, he is not, a, you know, they have quite a few statues and pictures of him. He's all over the place. But you have to bow to the father. You do not have to bow to the son. So he is not held in the same regard. And I, th- I never knew that. I thought the cult of the personality was all about the son, but not so much. It's about the, the dead father. Um, so uh, is there one of those big mausoleums for him? Because I know okay, you've okay. seen now, Lenin in Red Square. You've seen Mao I, I, in Tiananmen Square. Have, right. I have seen the, four, the quartet, Liz, of, of dead, frozen communists. That would be <laughs> Lenin in Moscow. Yes. Seen Ho Chi Minh in Hanoi. Oh, right. Now in Beijing, and now finally, I've seen Kim Il Sun in in Pyongyang, and I'm. He, this is the dead father, the dead dude, as we called him on the bus, because <laughs> mainly because our guides could not, you know, they they could understand English, but they didn't know English slang as well as they should, so we could refer to him as the dead dude, <laughs> which is what we did. They, so, but there is no comparison how over the top this was. This was the first day we were there. We had to get on the bus at seven o'clock in the morning. Everyone had to be dressed up. So, you know, they found ties for the guys on our trip that didn't bring ties. I mean, you know, they were, a lot of these people were young backpackers. They didn't, you know, have ties. They found ties, told us we had to wear skirts, put us on the bus. And we went to this place and then we had to line up in fours, Leanne, and march. Uh, we had to march into the mausoleum. Really? Yeah, they made us line up, our minders poking us, straightening up the lines. 
Uh, I can't wait to see the movie. <laughs> I hope you got the DVD. That is awesome. I, I mean, it's that just... is unbelievable. So total, you know, you have to turn over everything. No, you're not, oh, no cameras in the mausoleum. And then we are on these people movers. You are going the length of O'Hare Airport, DFW Airport. We are on these people movers for 15, 20 minutes to get in, to approach the, 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 dude. the frozen dead dude. And they've got all this music playing. And then they give you these little earphones and you hear this, they, you know, in English, it's this very emotional over the top. I don't know how much they played this, paid this British actor to record this, but this, you know, appeal of the people were crying at the death of Kimmel's son and their tears, you know, just really. But this is going on and no laughing, no, absolutely no laughing. They are dead serious about this. The only other people we're seeing in the mausoleum are other big groups of, of North Korean soldiers. Um, villagers, again, all dressed up to the nines. This is their big moment. And before you go in the final chamber to see the, uh, the frozen dead dude, you have to go through this purifier machine, a purifier machine. What? Where, uh, where they are blasting air. It's kind of like those, um, at the TSA, have you been in one of those? The, the puffer machines? It's kind of like a puffer machine, but this is longer, where they are blowing off the dust. I think it's both. We could. We were trying to understand whether this was serious or not, but everybody goes through the purifier room before you enter into the final chamber. And this is when our minders and our guides are now they're really sweating. Like, we really have to perform. We have to go up, you know, four at a time. We have to bow three times. They they have flowers that we have to leave at the um at the at the base of the frozen dead dude, and then solemnly walk around. I mean, it is so weird and so over the top, uh, you know. And yet, this is this is the most important thing to see. Wow. And you have experience visiting other dead dictators. Yes, I mean, so I, it's not right. like you understand that this is all part of a country's history. And there is a certain amount of decorum anyway when you right. have, like, the right. dead country's leader. But right. So for this to be over the top for you, when you're used to quite a high level of right. decorum in those frozen dictator situations. I, I, right, exactly, Liz. And I've never really had to march. You know, we had to be in lines. And this was the first of several times throughout the week, Leanne, that we would have to line up in formation, groups of four, you know, lines of four, lines of two, that we went to see um, tributes to Kim Il-sun in several other places. Uh, we went to another location, another palace, where they have a wax version of Kim Il-sun. Nice. Okay, this was did later you, did in you the week. Kind of, did you feel kind of insulted that you had to do all the marching and the bowing? Well, you know, you know what it is. It was oppressive. It was it was terrifying, Leanne, because you were I, you were never in control. Okay, they were constantly pushing us, you know, and and changing the schedule. So we would get on the bus at seven o'clock in the morning, and we wouldn't get off the bus until nine o'clock at night. I never met a single North Korean person. I had brought all these gifts because they told you to, you know, pencils for the kids, little pads. I brought cigarettes. They told us to bring cigarettes to give out. We did not get close to a single North Korean. They kept us totally buck 
buckled up, you know, in lines. They were constantly, you know, the guides and the minders were constantly telling us what to do, where to go. So towards the end of the week, Leanne, a revolt was starting in our group. Okay, we had a couple. Oh, of, we had a couple of Canadians. Leanne, they were not taking this, and so by the final day, I think it was day four of the five five, five day trip, where we when we were going to see the wax version of Kimmel's son, that the welder from Canada he started goose stepping in to go see wax. I mean, it's a wax figure, you know, and yet they want, you know, the solemnity of it and they were so serious, but you just can't believe that they're so serious about this. And, and because everything else had been so controlled, it is your natural reaction to react, like to try to bust out of the place. I mean, we had a uh, German doctor in our group, 60 year old. He was a thoracic surgeon trained in Germany, now working in Sweden, you know, and so, right. I mean, I'm there five days, we're joking about it, but I have been thinking right. very deeply about the North Korean people who, and, and about how miserable their life is and how much terror they live with every single day, you know, because they have to walk great, you know, distances, they have no food, they have to wear the stupid Kimmel sun pin, you know, they have to be worried that their neighbors are going to rat on them to get ahead, to get more food, to get a better apartment. It must be terrible. This is one of the worst places on earth. And I'm glad I saw it for that reason. I mean, I'm glad, you know, the, you know, if, strangely, the tour company was doing everything they could to show us the best sides of Pyongyang. You know, the, you know, the happy, clean, you know, well-dressed people, um, the, you know, the, the beautiful monuments and all the monuments were, you know, very well landscaped and very well taken care of. But, you know, because they worked so hard for us not to see real people in Pyongyang, I came away with just the opposite impression of what I was supposed to. You know, I know that they, you know, I, you know, I'm aware of the tyranny and the, ter the, and the terror that they're putting their people through. And uh, they go out of the way to make sure you're not taking pictures of anyone in shabby clothing. You're not allowed to take anyone in military pictures. And then for the tourists, Leon, they kept us on the bus until nine o'clock at night. One night we had seen like 14 Kim Il-sun monuments. And then at eight o'clock they announced, 8 p.m. at night, okay, they announced, okay, now we are going bowling. Because <laughs> bowling, Leon, bowling, they said because Kim Il-sun felt that bowling was an excellent exercise. So they have a giant bowling lane right in the middle of Pyongyang. We pull up in the dark, okay, because it's 8 p.m. at night, our three buses, and all of a sudden the lights of the bowling lanes come on. We get out. We are the only people in there. There's, there are no, you know, there's no Monday night bowling league in Pyongyang, okay? It's just us. But they make us, you know, we all, you know, put the bowling shoes on, and we bowled for an hour in Pyongyang. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that so, is beyond weird. Okay, that don't you think that's cake. weird? Yes. It's yes. Like they didn't have a choice. And, and again, they kept saying, well, you will have an opportunity to interact with North Koreans. So we're like, OK, let's go to the bowling alley. We'll see some real people. Uh, but no, no people. And then as soon as as soon as you know, we had been there one hour, the lights start to go off. And then they're really they're like rushing you out the door, like, hurry up, take your shoes off quick, quick, put them back, you know, get on the bus. 
So that was, you know, and every day it was something strange like that. One day they took us out into the, up into the mountains. We drove two and a half hours um, up into was the mountains. Was there a bathroom on the bus? Now I'm concerned. No, there's <laughs> not, Leanne. No, there's not. You know, but, oh, uh, God. So, you know, it was to, there was, I mean, it was, you, we really, Susie and I had to be prepared, you know, uh, in terms of water intake versus bathroom stops. We, we worked hard on that, but they were pretty good about that. But even when we went to the bathroom, Leanne, the minder stood outside the women's room. Yeah, that's it's, what I figured. Yeah, They just do not want you to, you know, to uh, break away. So they want to take us up into the mountains, into the northern part of North Korea. Of course, this is where, you know, all the nuclear stuff is supposedly <laughs> going on so we drive up there on a road let me tell you about north korean roads just briefly there's very few cars on them again lots of people just walking on these highways and half of the highways are also runways they have built their roads as runways so there's no medium strip you know the pavement is actually concrete in that section so the whole country is is prepared to, for another war. And they have set up their roads so they can land helicopters and planes on these, you know, to have multiple runways around the country. Oh, my God. Wow, that's it, so it really feels like they're at war all the time, even now. They are practicing. They, um, the guides told me since the invasion, since, okay, let's say it again, the imperialist, aggressive Americans, um, since the invasion of Iraq, they, they do um, the air raid drills every day now because um, they think they, they think we're, that is the message that the Pyongyang government has out, that the Americans are going to attack at any moment. Yikes. So what do you get? What do you see when you get up into the mountains? They're obviously okay. not showing you like missile silos and things. No, no, What's no, no. There? Just beautiful scenery. But again, by the time we arrived, it's dark and we pull up to this. Uh, one of the big delicacies in uh, Pyongyang are dog restaurants. Uh-huh. So, but you know, I wasn't going to do that, sisters. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think uh, I know the answer to this question. But would you ever go back? No, no. They, here's here's my summary report. It is a fascinating place. I learned so much about that region of the world. Um, it was, you know, it was so much weirder than even I thought it was going to be. And I would never, ever, ever go back again. Uh, wow. I, I just, when we landed in Beijing, we flew out of Pyongyang and landed in Beijing. I thought I was going to cry. I was like, I'm in the land of the home and the free. <laughs> China. In China. China. Yeah. The People's yeah. Republic of China. Who would have ever thought? I, I mean, that, I mean, that, I was so happy to be back in China. I couldn't believe it. It was, but it was much more. Uh, I was surprised how it affected me personally, the experience of being, of being, you know, watched, corralled, you know, harassed, poked, contained, you know, this, all of this order and then all of this disorder as well with a schedule that kept constantly changing so that we never knew what really was going to happen or what we were going to do at any given time. Right. And I never met, I never met a North Korean when I was there. We went to the children's palace where they, this is the after school program for children. And Leon, I'm telling you, the kids were like zombies. I think they had been told not to look at the Westerners. These children would, young children, like three-year-olds, five-year-olds would not make eye contact with you. 
You know, I mean, it was very odd. And we stayed to watch a children's performance. And it was like the Lawrence Welk show. Uh, that's all I can say. It was this, it was everything in it was from the 1950s. They had large groups of girls playing accordions. Now, what is that? And they were playing accordions as hard as they possibly could. These very difficult polka numbers. But how did that happen? I mean, where did that come from? <laughs> it is I hard mean, not to laugh. It's hard I know not it to is laugh. hard not to laugh. But and you realize they, how terrible it is for those children. That's it. That's it's, They got accordions and bowling and Michelle Maibel. So it is a highly militarized government. We saw large numbers of, of, of uh, North Koreans. Two more things. Marching around. They're always practicing for some large demonstration that requires thousands of people doing the same thing with flags, with scarves, you know, dancing, these sort of mass demonstrations. They're, you know, those go on all year long. And, you know, certainly it's to beat out any of the individual in anybody. And secondly, it certainly is another form of military training. I mean, to, to where you are constantly in a group, do, right. you know, taking orders, doing things, you know, in, you know, in a synchronized fashion. And then finally, the other nice thing about life in, you know, I'm saying this ironically, saying uh, sarcastically, <laughs> the other nice thing about North Korea is in addition to your full-time job, your eight-hour job, you then get to volunteer, in for, um, they have volunteer groups uh, for predominantly women. They said it's mainly women that do the volunteering, that for some reason the men have to stay home and read the news. So the women would volunteer to repave the streets, to redo the sidewalks. We saw large groups of women volunteers, again, in the dark, um, scraping and painting metal bridges. Um, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, large numbers of women volunteering, you know, we in the rain, they were repaving sections of a road that we saw. You know. All right, I'm just going to go out on a limb here, sisters. Uh, I think a week in North Korea is way worse than a root canal. I, I think, do, too. I think I, hands I, I down, think Julie, yep. I don't think, even think we need to hear Liam's side of the story. No, nope. no, the I, I totally cede. Well, I t- completely, completely cede. Yeah. That is really terrifying and fascinating, and it really just gives you... Uh, such dark thoughts about what the future could be in a country like that because it just this cannot turn out well it's not sustainable they are not going to be able to keep up this you know korean war rhetoric to hold their people together uh kim jong-il is not going to live forever and they have the nuclear weapon i mean you might be able to laugh off some of this weirdness if they didn't have nuclear weapons and if their number one business over there is arms trading so that, that's why it is so serious and so dangerous and, and so awful for the people of North Korea and for the people of the world, you know? Mm-hmm. So. All right. Well, Julie Dolan, we're going to have to wrap it up now because there's just no, no way we can move on to any other subject no. after that. You know, no. if you, and I, our computer's going to run out of storage space. Yes. yes. <laughs> 
I would say if you have specific questions you would yeah. want Julie to answer about this, Please go, do. go ahead and email them to us at sisters at satellitesisters.com or just go to the blog where we post the show and tell us what more you would want to know because we'll do another show later this week with a wide range of topics, but we can double back to some more. This is just so fascinating. Yeah. I hate that we have to stop talking now, but we kind of do. Uh, but what what an amazing, amazing experience, Julie. I'm so glad that you're home. I'm well, so glad to be home, sisters. One last yeah. question. Have you told mom yet where you were? No, you know, I talked to mom yesterday and she was so worried about me getting a, like a cold in China. I just didn't, I, I, I didn't have the nerve to tell her about North Korea. But I think when I get my pictures developed, I think I'll, I'll tell her. Maybe over Thanksgiving. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you're, you're secret safe with us for now. But well, that... I don't know. We should maybe take a poll. Should I tell mom or not? What do you think? <laughs> my own feeling is she never needs to know. That just is. But then again, if you're going to tell her, you should tell her sooner rather than later. Otherwise, it looks like a giant family plot to keep this information from her. Okay. All right. All right. She does specialize in retroactive worrying. (laughs) I know. That's what I Worrying about what might have happened had something gone wrong on a trip where nothing went wrong. That's her specialty, you know. I know that. That's why I think maybe just mum's the word on this, you know. All right. All right. Well, we're the Satellite Sisters. We're going to leave it there for today. We'll be back later this week. Go to SatelliteSisters.com and ChaosChronicles.com to read all about what's going on with us. You can always send us an email. Uh, Twitter, remember, at Sat Sisters. Get, it, get us on your list and join our Facebook group, The Satellite Sisters. So, Julie, welcome home. Yeah. Leon, I'm sorry you didn't win the Who Had the Worst Week competition. <laughs> but, uh, but I'm sure you're grateful that you weren't even really seriously in the running. No, I'm, I'm grateful for Vicodin, Liz, is what I'm grateful for. <laughs> grateful for a half a pill of Vicodin at night. Sounds like you could have used some, Julie. But... <laughs> really? <laughs> All right. We are the Satellite Sisters. Don't forget, call your Satellite Sisters.